0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Center for Advanced Governmental Studies at Johns Hopkins University. We are a center for research and teaching focusing on government, and we are home to master's degree and certificate programs covering domestic and international politics and policymaking. My name is Colin Pascal, and I'm a faculty member at the center. In our podcast, we aim to provide the latest news and updates from the center, highlight the work of our faculty and students, and featured the insights of experts associated with Johns Hopkins and our friends in Washington, D.C., and across the country. This episode of the podcast is a recording of the Government Analytics Breakfast Forum. The Breakfast Forum is a partnership between our Data Analytics and Policy Program and REI Systems. The forum brings together professionals and academics across many disciplines to explore the application of analytics to public policy problems and government activities. This forum features Dr. Stephen Costello Lowe, the Chief Technology Officer at the United States Department of Agriculture. The talk discusses innovation and in data analytics and how to connect innovation with core functions of organizations.
1: Good morning to everyone and thank you very much for joining us today for another virtual meeting of our Government Analytics Breakfast Forum. I'm Jennifer Bochner and I direct the data analytics and policy program at Johns Hopkins University. We've hosted this forum for about six years now and we're thrilled to have many regular attendees. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I want to provide just a little bit of context. We host this forum with REI Systems to bring together academics and professionals to cultivate a community in which we discuss how analytics can be used to address challenges in the public sector. Over the years, we've heard from many top leaders in government about how they're advancing their organization's mission using analytics. Today, we encourage you as always to ask questions, um, but today we'd like you to you'd ask your questions after our speaker's presentation. You can either type out your question in the chat box or use the hand icon. I think there might be a questions box actually, that would be good for typing out your questions. We also encourage you to tweet about the forum using the hashtag GabForum, and we'll be posting a shareable video of the event afterward in case any of your colleagues are interested. Again, many thanks for taking some time out of your day to join us, and I will now turn the program over to my co-host, Jeff Myers at REI Systems, who will introduce today's speaker.
2: Thanks very much, Jen. Um, again, for those of you who are new, the purpose of this forum is really to create community. It's a little tougher, of course, with the virtual format, um, but we will uh, be happy to share with you each other's contact information. Uh, and the purpose, again, is primarily to give you, you, you each a set of resources to be able to say, hey, you know, I've, I've reached a roadblock, I'm having trouble, I want to help, help solve this problem, uh, and to give you some folks to turn to. Um, so you may ask questions directly of people here, uh, Mr. Costello has kindly agreed to share his contact information. We'll send in a follow-up email along with his presentation after uh, the next day or so. Um, and certainly, you're welcome to contact uh, Dr. Bachner or myself. Uh, we can help you find resources amongst the rest of the community. There's a small possibility we may be able to answer your question ourselves, although I won't make any guarantees. Um, just a 20-second kind of introduction to REI for those of you who are not familiar with this. We focus on helping digitize government, and uh, we're about making mission impact. We work primarily with the federal government, and we like to be able to measure the mission impact. We're particularly proud that recently, for example, we've been helping modernize the immigration system that the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services use, and it's resulted in almost 20 percent increases in productivity and at the same time improvements in quality, both in terms of a reduction of the cases that are appealed as well as a reduction of cases of fraud. Uh, Similarly, and actually, I think I'm even more proud. Though I had nothing to do with the project, for the Office of Trafficking in Persons, which is part of HHS, we've made it possible with the same level of staffing for that office to serve 50% more victims of human trafficking, wage slavery, sexual slavery, and also for them to do it about twice as fast. So the purpose of our technology, frankly, is to make that impact. But the analytics are what help us understand what's whether or not the impact has been made. And to do some kind of agile trial and error to see, you know, is this new technology really working or is it not? We need to try something different and to be able to kind of make those iterative improvements in a way that is both understandable and acceptable. And what I actually am also pleased about with the Office of Trafficking in Persons is that ability to kind of make quick changes allowed it to be the case that HHS presented an original idea. And the Department of Human, the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice said, no, that needs to be tweaked. And we were able to come back with some tweaks and make changes that allowed a number of government agencies to collaborate in ways they had found difficult to do before. Um, But with all that as an aside, let me introduce our uh, honored uh, speaker, Stephen Costello. He is the chief technology officer for the U.S. Department of Agriculture and as such is responsible for IT modernization strategy and planning. And frankly, he's the guy who helps try and lead the charge in terms of finding innovations and bringing the, tip that the, uh, d- the mission impact of digital technology to USDA. He also uh, has previous experience working with the Office of Science and Technology Policy within the Office of Management Budget, so he has a great government-wide perspective in case you have questions or comments about things that go beyond the Department of Agriculture. He's got some particular expertise and experience with geospatial visualization, data analytics, crowdsourcing, and citizen science. And each of those, I think, are really current, important topics. Um, He's also one of the best-educated folks that we've had. He's got a PhD from uh, the University of Glasgow in Scotland. He's got a degree in IT from the University of Virginia, a a degree in public administration from Virginia Tech, and political science from James Madison. So he's really kind of ticked a wide range of uh, boxes in terms of qualifications. And apparently is just never satisfied with the same university enough to go there twice each time, I guess, seeking kind of higher higher honors and higher expertise. So thank you very much for joining us, uh, Mr. Costello and we look forward to your remarks. Um, once again, if you have questions, we please feel free to type them in at any time. Uh, Mr. Costello
3: will answer them after he concludes his presentation in approximately 30 to 40 minutes. Stephen, yeah. it's all yours. Thank you. Yeah, good morning, and thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jennifer. Um, I'm not sure about the highly educated things or over-educated piece. Um, I, I think curiosity is an important aspect of, of who we are as professionals. And um, that curiosity leads us to the kinds of public solutions, uh, really public questions uh, that result in solutions that we, we govern over time like policy, administrative function of the organization. And um, what I'd like to do today is offer uh, really a, an overview. You know, we have a short period of time. Uh, I have way too many slides will be provided to you later for, for further consideration, discussion. Uh, and I would like to have an ongoing discussion for those of you who are interested. Um, but this is gonna be be relatively high level um, and we're gonna walk through um, uh, these ideas sequentially uh, as we get to the question stage of this discussion today, at the end we'll probably have twenty minutes more or less for for q and a. Please note the uh, slide page number if your question emerges and we can we can go back to that and look at it. So what I'd like to do is is really set the front stage for for this discussion and um, I haven't worked in this format before um, maybe some of you have never participated in these events before so let's give each other a little grace we'll kind of you know make our way through this together and i'll look forward to uh your questions um first of all i'd like to suggest that um pardon me that we have a fundamental question here and i'd like you to raise your hands on kind of where you land either wanting to be right in your work in analytics or wanting to be happy. And and I think this really is a fundamental question for leaders because it results in how we set agendas, uh, policy agendas, what we interpret to be the agenda, and then how we go about establishing that in our organizations. It also results in how we allocate resources and uh, also the basis for ethical behavior and integrity. Uh, Do we want to be right or do we want to be happy? And um, I think this fundamentally gets to who we are as people um, and who we are as leaders. And this comes across in how we present ourselves, how we position ourselves, particularly in this kind of functional area of creating insights and developing inferences about, uh, about the behavior, about the success of of uh, public policy. So where do you land? Um, I want to uh, give you a, a perspective here uh, that's really developed by um, Ian McGilchrist. Um, he is a, a really wonderful thinker um, and has produced uh, uh, book that has become extraordinarily popular. It's becoming more popular since its earlier publication, I think 2012, in which he looks at right brain, left brain. And, you know, we have some probably remembrance of, of psychology 101, where we talked about right brain brain in our undergraduate years. He looks at this science uh, more conclusively, about right brain and left brain being really more complementary rather than in conflict. Yet the right brain piece, the, if you will, the intuitive piece needs to come first when we start to set up different kinds of decision-making structures. And it's a more organic and symbolic kind of way of of thinking about our world. And it's interesting in this quote, he's, he's really presenting that if we, if we get so wrapped around understanding the method, then sometimes it drives us into an premature early structuring of problems, which may not be the problem at all. It might be symptomatic of, of something larger. So how do we kind of attach the steering wheel to the race car? Um, and, and when we think about our current uh, circumstances around uh, wearing masks, for instance, um, this is a, an image of a medieval um, black plague (laughs) doctor's mask. And the perception was that if you wore a mask and you filled it with full of herbs, the the aerosol um, preventative would keep you from getting the the plague. Uh, Of course, if you're familiar, it was actually spread by fleas and stuff from from rats, not such a good uh, preventative wearing (coughs) a mask. So, So when we think about that, uh, could ideology, for instance, be impacting our perceptions of these mass dictates that are coming out on a state basis? And does to say about public policy implementation around the COVID protection? And some people are reacting strongly to masks. Well, maybe there's there's a history there, something that needs to be considered. Um, when we start to, to normalize data analytics, and the purpose of data analytics. Um, Primarily, it it lands in decision-making. You're you're looking at analytics, not as art, but as uh, a tool for making better decisions. And um, we we talked about McGilchrist, he's in the neuroscience um, sort of corridor here of this landscape of decision-making. I I think primarily the discussion that this organization, this this community has had has been in the area of analytics and probably leading over into automation as well. But if we look across the landscape, there are multiple ways of uh, thinking about analytics as a decision-making approach. And it depends on really your stakeholder, what you define as public good and so forth. So not to get ourselves constrained by kind of one view, one perspective, but look at data analytics dimensionally as a decision-making approach. Well, you know, it's risky business. Um, Decision-making has uh, a variety of of different uh, outcomes. Um, And we often try to control our decision-making apparatus to contain these these kinds of attributes. Um, the unknown consequences in particular, I think so often when we're, we're introducing new ways of thinking about, for instance, equity in the policies that we develop um, and then the programmatic ways of, of uh, deploying that in practice, the unknown quons- consequences can be really, really Difficult for us to overcome in terms of that adoption cycle. So how do we how do we look at risk um, and realize that it's going to be going to be a challenge? It's always going to remain with us, but not over control for it. Not over analyze the process of of analytics to control for these factors. Um, <clears throat> So I've, I've put together kind of my view of analytics uh, meaning making, a step model. And uh, these five kind of core ways of moving forward from start to finish um, are intended to, to kind of summarize, if you will, normalize the process. Small events, big questions, particular kinds of data special methods and insights. My observation is we are as a community in the government, particularly uh, as well as our business partners, very good at at identifying particular kinds of data. We we are immersed in data. We have an excess of data available to us. We also have become more mature in our methods that we use to uh, parse and, and categorize and classify that data in meaningful ways that produce certain kinds of insights, whether we're exploring a, a particular issue, uh, trying to describe it or explain it, or establish some sort of repeatable patterns that we can understand and, and embed in algorithms. What we're not particularly uh, accomplished at, in in my opinion, is understanding the small events and the big questions that need to be asked about those small events to better position the data. And I think this is more on the subjective human side of, of looking at public policy and administration. What's important here is, is in those early early elements, the small events and the and the big questions, we actually uncover second and third order uh, effects. And that's huge in a very complex, ambiguous world. So um, if if we are uh, trying to get further on, further down toward that early step movement of the model, uh, the suggestion here is we have Two different approaches for interpreting value. Uh, if, if, if fundamentally, innovation as a discovery, as a, a place of observation, as uh, the the uh, really way of, of stepping back and observing particular small events in, in the emerging questions that come out as a way of elaborating what we're what we're observing in public policy and administration we have the more mature capabilities that bring us confidence on down-selecting, reducing these particular data and special methods uh, through analytics. And then what I'm suggesting is there's really a a balanced approach. We simply need to to look at ways we move upstream and understand the nature of the problem. Is this, these aren't, these are not exclusionary. They, they are not uh, in opposition or mutually exclusive in terms of their relationships. But we think about time um, maybe differently by looking at it this way. Well, why is this difficult? Well, it's, it's partly difficult because we have competing worldviews. It's not that innovation and analytics are really competing against each other but it's just that our world views quite frequently, and these are extremes, social construction, concrete structures, the basis of our reality is actually different, how we interpret reality in the world. And that leads to different ways of thinking and seeing and doing uh, innovation and and leading to analytics. So uh, I won't go through these, but but fundamentally, this, this gives us a sense of how subjective interpretations, objective interpretations, scientific view versus more interpreted view uh, can be in conflict. And it doesn't mean necessarily that innovation and analytics are in conflict, but simply that our worldviews be. also an aspect of, of the challenge we have in front of us is is, you know, public service is, is quite um, convoluted sometimes, that it's composed of wicked problems and wicked problems have certain attributes. Um, most often what we discover is that the plans that we have executed in the past uh, when applied to new kinds of, of questions or uh policy initiatives and, and trying to execute against agendas and different performance metrics those plans don't work particularly well and we've hardened and created rigor within our systems that um, doesn't allow us to be agile and think creatively about how might we approach solutions uh, differently in, in this particular context in this particular piece of legislation or executive directives Well, if we think about complements rather than competition, rational analytic relative to intuitive heuristics have certain characteristics to them. Um, Classically, in a policy analysis process, we go through a a fairly uh, stringent sequence to come to a set of alternatives from which to make a decision with. On the other hand, If we think about innovation as design, um, as an activity that we engage in deliberately, functionally, upstream, then we can begin to surface and discover uh, maybe some of the essential elements of the the problem set that we we want to work with. And that produces certain kinds of patterns and, and new courses of action that actually set within, fit well within an actual context, the context in which it belongs. So, you know, given a world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, it requires a, a, a deliberate design orientation. First, to sort out the noise and the inconsistency. If, if, we, if we slow down a bit, before jumping into problem solving, tech, technical rationality and the, all the different tools we apply to that, and think about the puzzle pieces and, and the kind of rough edges, unfit edges that are present to us, it leads us to a place where design has, a, has an immediate purpose and it has a very uh, valuable contribution in this, this sort of decision-making process. Innovation as design actually increases the relevancy of our solutions. And free to that particular solution, the analytics that we conduct, because it, it facilitates a conversation with the actual um, elements attributes of a particular situation. Um, Yet it allows the ambiguity and and unknown consequences to reside, to remain, rather than trying to exclude those and create an experiment, a controlled experiment. Relative to that, it's a very local sort of way of thinking about policy and administration. Um, It engages in a search process as well as kind of the formulation of the, of the experiment, and it represents a solution in a way that um, is, is effective in its particular context. It's also improvisational in the sense that it, it, uh, it addresses the, the action um, in a way that allows that action to occur over a series of episodes over time, rather than being constrained to um, kind of one frame, one kind of timestamp, it allows a series of episodes to be sort of stitched together, woven together in a way that we can can see the more robust aspects of the the particular situation uh, that we're trying to, to understand and observe. So I I put together this framework, uh, governance innovation framework, uh, as a way of kind of collecting um, those capabilities that exist in our environment today. There's some uh, really powerful um, tools, methods, um, really attitudes, frankly, that exist that that we can uh, put together in a way upstream to help us be more effective in our analytic um, reductionism downstream um, and organized for effect. Um, What this model tries to represent, roughly, is is that we engage in cognitive work of thinking. Um, We also are involved in observing and seeing and then doing particular kinds of policy particular kinds of administrative activities well how do we how do we organize that in a way that tells us something substantive about what are the key assumptions about public value creation for the people who are experiencing it that's design thinking how do we validate those assumptions and so that they become operationalized for constituents for different types of consumers stakeholders and systems thinking and then where, when, and for whom is public value relevant? And that's the human-centered design piece that's really practice-based, uh, looking at um, um, different different kinds of uh, assessments, interpretation, observations um, about the public policy and, and governance environment. So just to, to summarize the, what I'm calling replacement, replacement in the sense that we're putting innovation upstream rather than kind of thinking about it as an abstract, separate from, or even downstream from our analytics. Design uh, thinking in place as a learning process. And um, what this helps us do is it starts with the meaning making from from the human perspective, and it then positions downstream to finish stronger. and it attends to original meaning. It, it engages human agency. It has uh, all the the elements of uh, interpretation, observation for sense making. It also is very powerful to enhance diversity um, and bringing in different um, uh, different perspectives that maybe had not been previously included in the planning in the programming. Uh, of our, our public policy, public administration solutions to create better value. And it emerges relevant questions, but it also does some some helpful things with regard to just how we structure um, our conversations. We, we eliminate some of the rituals of culture and specialists, whether it's engineers, lawyers, policy wonks, economists, whoever, um, it reduces the noise that's created when we try to simplify prematurely too early. And then it also reconstructs power. And this is, this is an important consideration where we're able to make space and give voice to, to folks on the margins. So to, to kind of sum up, the, the innovation process and how it contributes to data analytics is represented in, in this uh, left to right sequence here. And we establishing relevancy, engaging sense making, facilitating wayfinding. And this is really important. It isn't just about coming to some cogent, uh, congruent understanding of the circumstances, but also facilitating kind of how we can move forward from that and then promoting some persistence um, around the, the kind of institutional as well as the agent-based structures so that we can repeat what we've done in a way that is meaningful, and the what, the how, the why uh, associated with each of these stages, and I won't go through them again because that would take a long time. Um, I wanted to offer uh, just just some ideas here of how we can organize ourselves to optimize uh, analytic value content and. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six different roles here, uh, I think distinguishing these roles. If, for instance, if 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 you're in a, a public organization, you might want to think about ways of organizing, um, factoring um, kind of your product assembly or the process you're trying to, to embed in the organization or bring forward the organization by considering specifically these kinds of roles and really calling out specifically what they do with regard to content optimization. Now I call it content versus data because I think content takes into account many of the different aspects of what leads to um, valuable data. If you think of content as as metadata, if you think about it as kind of knowledge and and behavioral aspects and use statistics around data itself, then you start to get an understanding, of profile of content rather than than simply bits and bytes. So um, I believe it it comes down to a question of where we place our attention. Uh, Innovation and analytics are not in competition, but there's actually uh, uh, a lot of evidence for how analytics, pardon me, how innovation can be upstream, a contributor to downstream analytics refinement um, and, uh, we have, uh, a lot of different tools to be able to accomplish that.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Center for Advanced Governmental Studies at Johns Hopkins University. To learn more about our center, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.